Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pain Reframed. Boy, this is exciting. We are actually down at South College in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we have Louis Puentadura sitting right here with us. This is Pain Reframed. You know, folks, we had such a great episode last week that came out with Dr. Tolstrup talking about some peripheral nerve and some external issues that are sort of driving chronic pain, at least in some circumstances, and generated a huge amount of discussion with you all. And we were sitting here talking and thinking, boy, this conversation should continue. You know, this idea of are there things coming externally? Are there things coming peripherally, nociceptive driven? In other words, is there a role for peripheral interventions in really taking on and tackling persistent? in pain. You know, we talk so often on this show about not swinging the, the pendulum too far in us being and not or, and maybe this is another one of those great examples. So I think without further ado, we're going to jump in and, and talk to someone who has an awful lot of experience, both research and clinical in this space. And Louis, without further ado, sir, thank you so much for being here. Do you mind giving the audience a bit of background? Hi, everyone. Louis Puentadura. I am a physical therapist uh, originally from Australia, spent 16 years working in clinical practice there and then came to the United States. And it was here in the United States that uh, I really uh, took a big interest in how pain science works. Did a lot of research with Adrian Lowe, especially with his PhD project um, looking at pain. But I've always had a big interest in neurodynamics and how pain actually works. And one of the things that opened my mind to the possibilities of what we could do as physical therapists was seeing the work of Louis Gifford and his mature organism model. And that's that uh, image that all of us have imprinted in our minds where we can see input, processing, and output and the view that pain is one of the outputs. Right? But we shouldn't forget that there are three things there, input, processing, and output. And even in someone who has chronic pain, input still is a really important driver. And the input isn't just from the tissues, it's also the environment in which the input is occurring. So there's so much to discuss about this. I'm not privy to what was discussed in the last podcast, but I do know who we were talking about because um, he's from Las Vegas. And this concept that uh, a peripheral driver can continue to send input into the system is really important to consider that the more that there is input coming from the system, there are neuroplastic changes that occur at the spinal cord level and also at the brain level. Persistent firing from the periphery actually changes some of the things, the gating mechanisms that occur at the spinal cord level. We have these interneurons that help sort of dampen the constant input. Because if you think about it, we're getting lots of input right now to our spinal cord and to our brain. We have all these messages that are coming up to our brain saying, we have shoes on. I can feel my shoes. I can feel my socks. I'm wearing pants. Thank goodness I'm wearing pants. Yeah. <laughs> right? And all of that information is continually coming up to the brain and we, it's gated for us so that our brain isn't overwhelmed with all the sensory information. This kind of reminds me of um, one of my favorite movies, a Superman movie, the latest Superman movie. And when the, the bad guys come and land on, on Earth and they're not used to the excessive sensory input because they have to be sort of, you know, used to it. Whereas Superman's been here for 30 something years and he's been able to sort of block out some of the noise. There's a great sort of example of how that gating mechanism occurs. Now, what happens if you're constantly bombarding that 
spinal cord level and you're getting constant information all the time, then that gating mechanism can be destroyed. That interneuron can actually die. And that is a, a survival mechanism because you want to have more information going up to the brain. And I think that's what happens, that you have that persistent firing and that's what causes that peripheral and also central sensitization. But input's still important. And if we're going to change someone, if we're going to help someone who has chronic pain, it isn't just about talking them into feeling better. It doesn't help to tell someone, this is why you have pain, because you have a pain problem. You have central sensitization. You have a brain that's really good at constructing a pain experience. That doesn't help. You've got to have some way to help them sense that they can actually function and do things normally again. And one of the, th- the big changes that occurred in the last few years that we've been doing pain science is talking about how you don't want to get rid of someone's pain because pain is important. Pain is vital for us to feel. We need to feel pain at the right time. It's suffering from pain that is not a good thing. And so it's teaching people how to function, how to live, how to have a normal life despite the pain. Right. And getting the, getting patients who have chronic pain to get to the point after, you know, some time where they can say that they're doing what they want to do, they're achieving what they want to achieve, that life is good, but they still have pain. They're doing things despite the pain. And that's, you know, a, a key, a key driver to it all. So for us as physical therapists, the, the peripheral input is still really important. And there are so many ways to view how that um, peripheral input can work. When we're doing a manual therapy intervention, you know, the consensus has been that if someone has chronic pain, you don't want to touch their tissues because you're reinforcing this idea that it's the tissue. So say say there's someone with chronic pain, chronic low back pain, and they've been told they've got degeneration at L4 and L5, and they've got a bulging disc at L4-5 or something like that. We're trying our best to explain to them that it's not really the bulging disc that's causing their pain. It may have been the driver, the initial cause for it all, but now they've got a nervous system that is is too sensitized. It's paying too much attention to the normal sensations that would come from that L4, L5. How do we um, get our hands on a patient and move those segments that need to be moved, uh, have some input in the system without lighting them up and getting them the idea, oh, it's back in my tissues. And this is where you can reframe it. This is interesting that we'd use the word reframe, right? That you know, this isn't to correct a problem that you have in the tissues. This is to help the tissues become healthier, all right? That there, there's nothing, there's nothing terribly wrong with them. They just need to be healthier. They need to be have a little more flexibility. They need to be more comfortable with movement. How does a brain become more comfortable with that particular part? by being aware of where that particular part is. And now we're getting into the, the whole concept of smudging in the brain and how there's neuroplastic changes that occur in the central nervous system when you have persistent pain. And there's lots of good evidence that shows that when you have persistent pain in an area, that you lose your sensory awareness of where that body part is. So you can test this with two-point discrimination. And you'll find that people who have chronic pain, where they have their chronic pain, they actually have a much wider two-point discrimination. They also have a greater difficulty determining if it's left or right and where that body part is. That's that laterality aspect of it all. So using those kinds of approaches, teaching people about their having them retrain their laterality, being aware of left and right, getting them to sense where a body part is, doing sensory discrimination, you know, having them determine, am I touching you with two points or just one point? 
having a grid over an area and asking them to you know tell you what where am I touching you am I at this point of the grid one two three four or five or six and having them feel that then they're just getting a normal sensation of light touch in an area that's perceived as painful and there are ways that we can start to use some you know input that doesn't drive a pain response well Louis that was an excellent opening there and thank you for that there's so many questions I have coming out of there but to kind of stay on that pathway of you know this input uh, locally and you mentioned say manual therapy or manipulative intervention how might you know, very specifically on this patient, what might you be saying if you're trying to perhaps improve their awareness of that body part? What might you do, say, in a manual therapy approach that might help improve that and follow along that model? That's a great question. And I can think of a patient I just treated recently who had this particular problem. This is someone who actually had multiple fusions in the lumbar spine and was just convinced that, you know, the, the pain was still because of the fused areas. And I was going to actually sort of work on that area of the back. And the way I explained to the patient was that you've had surgery to the, your low back. So your awareness of movement in that uh, segment has changed because it doesn't move anymore. All the muscles or the tissues that would normally move, those joints cannot move them and cannot move anymore. Your brain has lost touch with where that body part is. So we're going to use manual therapy as a way to re-engage those parts of the back. So I'm going to you know, touch you at different areas and tell you what level I'm at. This is L5, this is L4, this is L3, okay? And then where am I touching you? Am I at L5, L4? And then correcting them each time they you know, make a mistake so that they get really good at saying, yes, that's L2, yes, that's L3, that's L4. And then having them determine, in which way am I pushing you? Am I pushing heavily or am I pushing lightly? Is it a light touch or a heavy touch? Am I pushing you medially or laterally? Am I pushing up or down? And getting them to, to sense, and they're just feeling normal sensation. It's manual therapy, but it isn't just them laying passively while I do grade fours or grade threes. It's more of a, you know, a reiteration, you know, which I'm moving you, but which way am I moving you? Think about how I'm moving you. Think about how it feels when my hands are on your back there, right over where the surgery was. Does it produce pain? No. It shouldn't produce pain. The fact that you can touch someone in an area that's painful but not have them experience a painful experience is a way of disengaging that pain mechanism, the pain neurotag, and getting them to experience a different neurotag. It's getting out of this mindset of manual therapy as a passive intervention. What you just described to me was the patient was actively engaged in the movement that you were providing to that patient. And I think that, I hope the listeners clued into that, that this is not passive interventions. These are actively engaging patients. But yes, we're putting our hands on those patients and moving them. Yeah, I mean, it is that cooperative process. And I love this conversation we're having because it gets into this and not or discussion. You know, even with manual therapy, it's not just the passive part of manual, but bringing in the mental aspect and the cooperation of that and the learning process there. And Louie, that was a lot of what the discussion came from after that last episode was this idea of, again, and not or. It seems to make sense to me. We're going to call a lot of the discussion spirited. There was a lot of emotional, emotionally charged responses, which is, which is great, which I think it shows a lot of folks are 
caring. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, folks are, are wanting to get to the bottom of this and understand it. But when you talk about Gifford's model and you talk about chronic pain and persistent pain, I think it would be an error to completely turn our back on the nociceptive part of that. Now, like you said, there's a lot of maladaptive changes that happen at the spinal cord level, up at the brain level, at the cortical level with the neurotags. But there is, in varying levels, correct, this component of nociceptive drive. And in Dr. Tolstrup's example, he was reducing that nociceptive drive by changing the environment of a peripheral nerve. For us, that might be addressing a joint issue or addressing addressing a, t- a tension issue in a muscle. But we are indeed bringing in that peripheral aspect to try to bring down some of the nociceptive bombardment while we also change the environment to reduce threat, while we also change... The point is, why not try to get our hands onto each of these areas and see if we can't make a little bit of change in each area, thus creating a large change in the pain experience. Perfect. And you've given me this wonderful thought because sometimes you have to explain that to a patient, right? They've got this patient who you are telling them that, you know, it isn't such a problem in the tissues. Your tissues are fine. They, They could be better. They could be healthier. But they're not the main cause of why you still hurt. One of the stories or metaphors you might tell people is about how sometimes you can have an alarm system, you can have something on your dashboard of your car just lights up and says, check engine, check engine light. And what we're telling them is that there's really nothing wrong with the engine, you've just got a very sensitive system, so the check engine light is is on. But it would be wrong to not think about that as a possible true warning as well. And that's where nociception comes in, because nociception is that warning, right? And we can say, okay, it's probably just normal sensations. It's not nociception, it's normal sensation that the brain is interpreting as a threat, right? This is this should be just normal sensation, light touch. This is, I'm aware I'm wearing pants, that kind of thing. It shouldn't be to the level of, oh, this is a threat, this is something that is no susception, and I should probably produce pain to protect. But at the same time, you don't want to ignore that no susception because sometimes, you know, you ignore those signals in your car at, at your peril, right? The check engine light comes on, the little light says that, you know, the temperature is too hot, and you decide, ah, it's probably a false alarm, I'll just keep driving. Well, if you keep driving, you can blow up your engine, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that, you know, you still need to pay attention to that constant nociceptive driver. If patients are still getting input into the system, anything we can do to calm that input down is a way to get into that mature organism model. It's a way to change things. We want to change the output, pain, right? And change it to a more appropriate output, activity, movement, life. You know, engagement in the world, that's the output we want. So we need to have people think differently about what they're experiencing. That's the processing. But we've got to give them a chance to have to, to process the input correctly. And if we just ignore the input and say that's not important, then we're missing out. Yeah. Right? The input's really important. And I think one of the strongest uh, responses to the show was um, Dr. Holstrup used language that, you know, the nerves from the periphery would bring a pain message to the brain. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, a lot of folks said, hold on, hold on. You know, those nerves don't bring a pain message. They bring nociception. And the brain makes a decision based upon threat in the environment. What I think was interesting was, I think Dr. Holstrup fully understands that because when Tim brought up an example of, you know, if you did have an injury, but you were in a very stressful situation, would you experience pain right then? And, and Dr. Tolstrup said, no, you wouldn't. But later on, you probably would. And the point there I'm trying to make is that 
I think we all are understanding this, but boy, is it hard to clean up your language. I don't think Dr. Tolstrup meant that it was a pain message. I think he legitimately understands it was nociception, which may lead to a pain experience. But I think in the clinic for all of us and with the public and with everyone's working on trying to sharpen up their language. And I think that it's a real, it's a real process. I know I still slip up with patients and I say, you know, things that I cringe and I'm like, I didn't really mean that, but it's a habit and it's hard to make those changes. And it does get to this, this idea that what you said, as you let off with this input processing and output, many patients from the beginning when they entered the system, nobody adequately addressed the input side of the equation. And I, th- what I mean by that is, you know, all of us here have seen patients with persistent pain and we're the first ones that have really done a detailed musculoskeletal examination. And we find a number of impairments that were just like fit the, their description of how this pain pattern started. And to me, again, it, it's my belief, had those patients actually been adequately addressed, the nociceptive side of this, yes, things were amiss and those things would have been addressed. Would they have spiraled into this, into this chronic pain environment? We all know that the same, you know, impairments for one person may not create symptoms, right? And nonetheless, I think it goes back to what you said about this balance of, you know, being hyper skilled at the interrogating the musculoskeletal, excuse me, the neuromusculoskeletal system and the ability then to see, well, these drivers were probably present that began it and we need to treat that input side without propagating the fact that we can fix this and you may still have symptoms because the processing clearly has been altered. You said something before that I really sort of hit on. You said it should be and, not or. And one of the things that we're, we're talking about now in, a, in the neuroscience, um, you know, sort of research group that we have with Adrian and ISPI is PE plus. Right, that when you're using a pain neuroscience education approach with patients who have chronic pain, that it has to be pain neuroscience education plus, plus some other, some other things. And we've come up with this sort of four cardinal points, four things that are really important for people with chronic pain. The first is definitely education. All right. The second is goal setting. You have to have a goal in mind. What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? And it has to be an achievable goal. For some people, being pain free, is not an achievable goal. And actually, I wouldn't want to be pain-free. I'd want to feel pain when it was appropriate for me to feel pain so that I know, oh, I've got to stop doing that because I don't want to hurt myself. If I sit for too long, you know, on a long flight or something like that, I hurt. And I want to hurt so that I know, oh, I've been sitting too long. I need to walk around. I need to exercise. I need to do things to feel better. So the goal is really important. Exercise is the third, uh, the third part of the cardinal thing because we are movable structures, right? We, in this physical therapist, we're the movement specialists. And so we should be encouraging everyone to move so that we stay active and, uh, and keep healthy. And then the, the, the fourth cardinal point is sleep, sleep hygiene. The people who have chronic pain don't sleep well. And getting that proper sleep, the rest cycle, and getting good, restful, REM sleep is really vital to recovery from all of this. So there's those four things, and we'll tell patients that have chronic pain, these are the four things that are musts, 
Right? These are must-haves. But as well as that, there's a whole wheel around here that has lots of things we could do, and it's up to you what you'd like us to do. Do you want manual therapy? Choose that. Do you want some yoga? Absolutely, let's do that. Do you want to do some humor? Let's tell jokes to each other. How good do you feel after having a good belly laugh? So that, that can be great. That can be very challenging as a physical therapist when the patient says, I choose humour. Yeah, come on, let's, let's spend 15 minutes on humour. <laughs> okay, let's uh, look up some, you know, some quick knock-knock jokes and things like that. And the patient says, no, that's not funny. <laughs> so there's so many different things, you know. There's diet, you know, and attending to diet. It's all about socialising, you know, making friends doing more activities there's a ton of different things and the really the value in seeing that PE plus especially for you know, in teaching other physical therapists how to do this is that a lot of pts would see these patients with chronic pain and think i don't know what to do with someone like this everything hurts nothing helps what do i do and now we realize there's a lot you can do these four things definitely but there's a whole ton of other things you can do as well and it's really patient choice give them a menu and I think that really gets into customizing it for the patient, right? Yeah. That we don't get into one mode of this is how you fix chronic pain. Mm-hmm. No, we look at someone who's had persistent issues and try to figure out what are the drivers. How much nociceptin driver still is on board? I know a lot of people who have had pain for a long period of time because they haven't changed activities. They haven't. They have continually irritated their body, and a lot of that is, is nociceptive. Mm-hmm. I know folks that I've treated who've had persistent pain for years where I think there's minimal nociception, and I think so much of it is fear and threat and rumination, catastrophizing, maladaption. The point is, there's a spectrum. And that's why there's a spectrum of interventions. And I think the most skilled therapist is going to be the one most willing to say, what are the drivers here? What are all of my options? Which ones have the smallest barrier? Which ones do the patients want to do? And having that skilled blend of interventions for every single patient, not just the way we manage pain, the way we manage pain for that person. Well, this has been a wonderful talk. Hopefully, we're, we, we're going to keep this conversation going. And we'd like to uh, invite you back, Louie, and have this conversation continue. But you know, as we wrap up here, can you let the listeners uh, know where to find you, what you're doing, where you're at these days, and how to find you on social media and the like? I was an associate professor at UNLV. I'm going to still stay there in Las Vegas, but I'm now a full-time faculty at Baylor University, the new DPT program. It's going to be in Dallas, and it's an accelerated program. A lot like South College, in a sense. South College 2.0, right? (laughs) That's where you'll be able to find me. Uh, And you can also find me on Twitter at at Aussie Louie. So I've got a fair bit of a following on on Twitter, which surprises me. On uh, Facebook, as uh, Louis Puentadura, you can find me there. Awesome. Well, Louis, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for all the research and all the great work in the profession. Really appreciate it. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. I mean, another awesome conversation. I, I love how this keeps broadening. I, I love that we're bringing in diff- different professionals, um, different points of view, and just hashing it out, because it's a hard subject, and we've got to do our diligence and really stand there and, and fight this all the way through. So keep tracking us, folks. Evidenceinmotion.com, ISPinstitute.com. Um, we're on the blog at ISPI. Make sure you're checking out those courses. Courses. Make sure if you have not looked at the Align Conference yet, you have a look at that. So that's coming up next year. And boy, holy boy. I will put the uh, URL in the show notes and I'll make sure you folks can find that there because boy, we have a group of speakers coming in for that weekend in Denver that's going to be unbelievable next year. So please engage there. Check out both websites. Tim and I are always on social media and uh, let's keep having it out, folks. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.